Welcome back to the Negotiation Society powered by the Gap Partnership. Today, we are fortunate enough to have Lee Peterson join us. Uh, Lee and I know each other over five years now from her work in the Mars world, but Lee has an extensive career beyond just that, having worked for Reynolds uh, straight out of college from Stanford University. She then went to work for Lexmark as a business development team lead. She took over roles within Mars, so everything from sales capability team leaders to managers to global sales marketing capability manager. Uh, she then had a stop at Twitter where she was the learning and development lead for the U.S., Canada, and Latin American region and is now the principal consultant and founder of Learning Karma, which is a female-owned business that offers educational workshops to support employee well-being. I know you talk a lot about applying research-based psychology tools. They emphasize strengths-based development, and you teach life skills uh, so as to touch on things like growth mindset. Lee, it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Likewise. So outside of that quick rundown I gave, how about you give us the, uh, the longer version of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for the, the nice intro. Uh, yeah, I'll try not to start from the very beginning, but um, I spent the last two decades in learning and development roles, as you said, and I was supporting mainly sales teams to help them build their capabilities. Um, it all started because I used to be a salesperson myself, and uh, when I worked with Reynolds, they came to me and said, hey, Lee, we need an onboarding for our team. You're really good at what you do. Would you like to do it? And I said, sure. Um, so I built an onboarding. Uh, program for the team. And then I realized I just loved it, right? I loved teaching people. I loved seeing people's aha moments and light bulbs go off and just connecting with them like that. And so ever since then, that's where I came into uh, being a learning and development professional. And so from Reynolds, I went over to Lexmark doing a little bit in the IT world, um, learn teaching people how to sell printers with their retail sales team. But I have a passion for pets and I love animals. And um, I found a job. It was back in, gosh, when was that? 2013. And, and Mars Pet Care had a job in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was like, it was a sales training manager. And I said, I'm getting this job. And, um, you know, when you just know, you're like, this is the job for me. This is what I'm going to do. And so uh, I did. I got the job and I relocated to Nashville, where I've been for the last 10 years. And I spent eight wonderful years with Mars. I got to work in the pet care division, supporting their specialty teams. Um, and that was just so wonderful, such amazing people. And then um, I got to go into a global role, which was just absolutely fascinating. Um, I got to work with different people. I supported U.S., Canada, Latin America, and in sales and marketing and consumer insights. So I broadened my, my scope as well and uh, just had the absolute best team anyone could ever ask for. We're still all friends to this day. It's um, where I met you, Mike, during that time. And um, But back in 21, 2021, they started to do a restructure as CPG companies do. And uh, my job became redundant. And so unfortunately I, I left Mars and I started playing around with this idea to start my own business, but I was scared. I was too scared. I was like, I don't know. Can I do it? I don't know. So um, 
I didn't do it at that time. And I went and I got a job with Twitter. And, you know, I got to say, Twitter's been on the news a lot. And, you know, everybody has their opinion of Twitter, but it was a wonderful culture to be a part of. Um, There was a thing called Twitter Nice, and Twitter people were very nice and very kind. And um, because of my time at Twitter is basically why I am doing the things that I am doing with my company, Learning Karma Now, because when I was with Twitter, I became a Gallup certified strengths coach um, and was introduced to strength-based development. And it absolutely sparked a passion in me for helping people do what they do best rather than focusing on and fixating on their weaknesses. Um, So I'm forever grateful for Twitter for that opportunity. Um, And then last year, Elon came in, there were some big structure changes at Twitter. Um, and unfortunately, I was part of, or fortunately, however you want to look at it at this point, um, but I was part of the layoffs. And, you know, I went through my head again saying, gosh, should I, should I start my own business or should I just play it safe and go keep working? And um, it felt like at that point, you know, uh, when people say, oh, it's a rebound relationship. I felt like if I was going to go back and go work for someone else again, I was just going to be in a rebound relationship. My heart wasn't going to be in it. My head wasn't going to be in it. There wasn't going to be a long-term commitment. And it didn't seem fair to to anyone or myself to go that route. So that's when I said, I'm going to take the leap and I'm going to launch Learning Karma officially. And so in January of this year, I did just that. So that is the long story of how I got here and how I got to learning karma today. Well, that, I mean, that's an amazing story and quite the journey that you've had I mean, from uh, redundancies to finding new space, to learning new things, to avoiding a rebound relationship. Very <laughs> cool. Uh, congrats to massive congrats on starting learning karma. That's a, a big step to start a, your very own business. And I know you're going to be exceptional at it. What Thank is, you. what's your favorite thing about it? Gosh, I love so much about it. I I think my favorite thing about it is that my passion is my work and my work is my passion. You know, I can say it either way. And um, that's a really empowering place to be um, because I go, I I come to work every day. I I come to my, my home office. I walk into my office. Um, and I'm excited about the possibilities. Um, I'm in a state where I'm doing a lot of creation, a lot of collaboration, a lot of connecting, um, and I'm learning myself. And so um, I'm actually studying to become a practitioner of positive psychology right now, too, where we talk about things like growth mindset, agility, um, grit, resilience, all of these things. And so the best part is that I know that I am going to be able to take these things that I'm learning and help people develop skills to help them not only thrive, but, or sorry, excuse me, not only survive, but thrive um, in today's world because it, it's crazy. And, and we've, we've got, you know, one of the things we say is if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so a lot of people don't have the the tools in their toolkit to be able to to figure out what do they need based on the circumstances. And so that's what I want to help people do is to have a plethora of tools to choose from 
so that they can continue to thrive and have a fulfilling and, and happy life. That's um, exceptional. And it takes us right into the next question around customer or client centricity, which I know you and I have spoken about before. Um, how important is that with learning karma to be client centric? Oh, it, it's so important because when people come to me, you know, people come to me because they're looking for a solution to a problem. And um, it's not a one size fits all. So what's really important for me is to be able to listen to what people are saying and to hear them, um, truly listen and truly hear them so that I can tap into my resources to think about what is the best solution for them. Um, training isn't always the solution, right? It, it, sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's uh, financial. Sometimes it's resources. But, you know, I, I will have those conversations with people and help them figure out what is it that you need? How do we tackle this issue? And then how do we close the gap? So um, it, it's absolutely critical for me to be client centric and a customer centric and and also not only so you know cost my my clients are the people i work with my customers are the people that i feel and i'm training and um i have to know what they're going through as well i have to understand the situations that they're going through what's going on maybe with their company or their business or their role or is it a you know has their team changed or their team structure changed so it's important for me to not ever make assumptions and to always be curious and to ask the questions in order to help people um, and make sure I'm delivering the right solution. It sounds like um, what you talked about earlier around agility. So being able to understand what the right outcome or the right um, helpful movement for an outcome could be. You, you also talked about listening and actually hearing, which I think is so critical. The difference between, yeah, you're just there to see the words come out of someone's mouth versus you're actually hearing what their challenge is. That's a uh, distinct difference. Absolutely. So you know that TGP is all about the skill of negotiation, clearly. Um, so the question, the next question has to do with that. How important is the skill of negotiation in your career? Again, it's critical. I think it ties into that customer-centric question that you were just talking about. Because if I truly want to be a customer-centric business, then I've got to make sure that I'm reaching mutually beneficial agreements with my clients. You know, I, of course, I would love to sell every workshop that I have and everybody says yes. And I just have more work than I know what to do with. But um, ultimately to me, it, it's quality versus quantity. Um, and I think making sure that it's a win-win and that what I'm providing the customer is absolutely what they asked for and what they need and not just what I'm trying to sell. So negotiation is absolutely critical. So along those lines, then how does the work you do with Learning Karma help others with their negotiation capability? It's interesting. You know, the work that we do is based on positive psychology and strength-based development. And so there is actually research out there that shows that people who are experiencing positive emotions, they're actually more cooperative uh, when negotiating. They use more cooperative strategies. And they have more favorable perceptions of themselves and others as well. Um, so again, it's that win-win piece, not the I win. Um, and they're more willing and able to help others. There's a little more give and take with people in positive, uh, with positive emotions. And so 
The other thing that the research shows is that people who have positive emotions are able to think more creatively and flexibly and, um, and engage and explore their environment at a greater degree. So, you know, when you think you're sitting at the negotiation table, um, you know, hopefully people are getting back face to face and, you know, but if you are there being able to have that empathy for your customer and um, to think of them not as just uh, someone you're selling to or just a number, you know, using those positive emotions and tapping into those can create for a much more impactful and and probably a much more, um, well, not only just positive interaction, but even a financially uh, better outcome as well for both parties. I believe it. I mean, especially when you're talking about it gives the opportunity to explore more options or think creatively. Um, this idea behind the growth mindset, strength-based development, the positive psychology. I love that there is factual evidence behind it. It's often um, you hear people talk about things they think work, but if you know it works and it's based on the facts, that's so significant. Absolutely. Uh, any any personal or work-related success and or disaster stories you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, so I won't, I won't call anything a disaster, right? I think everything is a learning opportunity. Um, it may feel like a disaster at the time, but um, ultimately, you know, when it, it goes into what you're saying about growth mindset. Uh, this story is about uh, me having a fixed mindset when it came to negotiation. So... Um, I won't name the company because uh, it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the company, but it's just, just me. Um, but I was offered this job uh, that I really wanted, and I was so excited about it. And um, so went through the interview process, really prepared for it, did everything I could, got the job offer. But when they offered me the job, the salary they offered me was lower than what I was expecting. And honestly, it was lower than I felt like I deserved. And at that time, what I now realize is that I had a very fixed mindset where I was defining my self-worth by my income. And so I felt like if I was accepting this lower salary, then I would appear weak. It was a judgment on myself and feel like I didn't even really feel like I valued myself because I was taking the salary that I just felt like was not um, where it should be. And then another thing, and I, you know, I, I see this a lot with, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, and I see this a lot with folks is, I think this is a generational thing, but we were taught, don't push your luck, be grateful that you're getting a job offer, um, and don't really push it too hard because they could offer the job to someone else, you know? And um, I got to tell you, I admire my millennial friends like crazy because they do such a good job of negotiating and fighting for their worth and sticking to it and, and not living in this this fear-based scenario. Um, that's a, another story for another time because I'm so impressed with the the way they're able to negotiate. But for myself during this time, you know, what I did, again, I wanted this job. I had this fixed mindset that I deserved more. I deserved better. But when I went back to counter the offer, I wasn't really prepared. I was not, I didn't use any of the negotiation skills that I had been taught, right? I didn't have 
variables. I didn't have different things that I was willing to, uh, to, to negotiate with. I didn't have, uh, my walking away point. I didn't have any of those things. I was just going in there going, well, I deserve more. So that's my pitch. Basically it was a horrible pitch. Um, and so, you know, I think just as they did, they gave me a little bit more money, but not a lot. And so what happens is I go into the job and I'm already feeling like I'm undervalued and underpaid. And I got a little bit of chip on my shoulder um, because of that. Now, after a little bit of time, what I realized were a few things. One is my fixed mindset that I should not be solely placing my worth or what I'm negotiating on. At, I should not do that just financially, that finance, financially, uh, you know, I needed to have other things that I was willing to negotiate about. And um, the truth was, this was a big role and a tough role. And I had a lot of growing to do and a lot of developing to do. And so what this all helped me realize was that when it comes to salary negotiation, it, it's not just about the money for either side, right? Like for both people, offering someone a position and then the person who is offering the position, that's a risk for both parties involved, right? I mean, you're both vulnerable at this time. And so um, what it taught me is that there needs to be more give and take, not just stuck on the money. Uh, money's obviously going to be a factor. We got to pay our bills, but there's other things that, that I needed. I should have been thinking about like, what are potential growth opportunities? What about visibility in the company? What about, um, you know, what, whether it be like growth opportunities, visibility, future promotions, whatever it be, I needed to have be thinking about things further down the road than just like the money at that time. And so what I learned is like, I needed to be able and willing to see the big picture and the difference between these long and short-term games. And um, I was letting a fixed mindset limit my potential. And um, I just, from now on, I go into negotiations with a growth mindset. I think about what are the possibilities. I don't take things personally. Um, it's about how is this an opportunity to learn and grow? Um, so that, you know, both you and the employer come out with a win-win on this. And I just think it makes for a much more, um, a much more impactful and a much more, um, reasonable negotiation when, when people are, aren't thinking about it just from a fixed mindset and a financial basis. Could not agree more. I mean, it, you know, a couple of things that you said during that that were so critical. The first one around, you know, you go go in there and you're not the only one, by the way, but go in there without preparing for uh, value creation. So when we get stuck on that one variable, oftentimes in the CPG world, as you know, whether you're selling pet food, Reynolds wrap or something else, you are negotiating over price, but there's other variables, but people get emotionally attached to price. And so therefore it becomes a win-lose game and you're not thinking about value creation or that growth mindset. Um, something you said that was really intriguing, you know, this idea that people define themselves based on income, define your self-worth based on income and instead maybe have a little bit of vulnerability around what the number is and think about what are the ancillary benefits you might want? What are the opportunities that you can learn within this role? And 
far be it for me to uh, claim to be a professional in psychology and understand all the different generations, because I don't, but certainly different generations we find um, have some differences in the way that they push and pull on certain variables and how they negotiate. So to your point on a Gen X versus a millennial, um, <laughs> there will ultimately be some subset of, of differences within the way that they negotiate. Uh, that's very, very critical and I, I think really good insight that you're providing. Uh, last question. I know we've kept you for a while. The You come from a, this L&D background. You've obviously done sales. like You've lived this life. What do you think the future of L&D looks like? Is it driven by AI? Is there more of a DE&I push? What do you think? I think it's both, right? And I, I think I think AI is going to play a huge role in how people are trained in the future. And I, I think it's great because it's going to, it's going to be able to enhance these learning experiences that people have. Um, it can improve the effectiveness of learning because it can be very personalized to the learner um, in real time, uh, which is really hard to do in traditional L&D at, at this point. But um, the other part about the AI piece is that, um, you know, it's also going to give real time feedback not only to the learner, which is critical, but also real-time analytics for performance. So from a manager perspective, you can look at like, gosh, where can I help here? How can I coach them through this? Um, if you're on an L&D team, you really see where the gaps are and think, okay, what, do, what are we working with here? And then um, from the, the DE&I, you know, I'm so happy to see that so many companies are now really not only talking the talk, but walking the walk when it comes to this. Um, you know, for years it's been it's been part of the conversation, but the action has been slow to happen. And so, um, you know, even the work I do around strength based development, the, the part I love about all the work that I do is the um, inclusive nature of it. When you're thinking about what each and every one of us brings to the table and the positive things that we all have that we bring. Um, being able to draw on those and tap into each of those at, as a team member um, for collaboration, for inclusion, for growth, for for everything is just so critical. Um, so I'm happy to see that companies are are tapping into that. Um, the thing, the thing that the AI piece when we when we think about that is. The other thing that is happening, and it's been happening for a while, and I, it is not slowing down. If, if anything, it's only getting faster, is that the rapidly accelerating speed at which people need to learn things. So the pace at which jobs are becoming obsolete and new ones are coming in a created is unheard of. And so businesses are going to have to be able to find a way to identify those skills quickly, which I think AI will be a really great tool to do that. Because honestly, I don't know if we can keep up, uh, you know, from a, a manual perspective. Um, but the way that I think L&D teams really need to step up and help here is to be able to help individuals with this shift in learning so quickly. And so we need to provide them with the tools to become extremely agile, um, malleable, and curious in how they approach their own development. So 
I mean, we've got to really tap into people have been saying it for years, always on learning, always on learning. You know, it's like, okay, great. We've got LinkedIn learning, you got YouTube, you plug it in, you can find an answer to anything, which is which is great. And it's it's a big necessity. But um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is the days of having the time to become an expert at anything, I think are gone. Unfortunately, you know, we need to be constantly adding new skills and uh, being flexible about how we approach our goals because our customer needs are changing so quickly. Technology is changing so quickly. All of these things are just so rapid pace that we have to be able to have the skills as humans because we are, uh, our brains are still like old programming in a new world, right? If you look at it, we, we haven't quite evolved to the level of, of AI. Um, and so what I think we need to do is, you know, help people build skills like resilience, uh, curiosity, and agility so that learners are not paralyzed by these fast moving changes, but rather energized by them. Now, I mean, that's what we want is people just soaking this in and saying yes, rather than being overwhelmed. Because um, at this pace, you know, burnout's huge right now. Um, you know, burnout is almost like a, um, it's, a, it's a word you hear constantly, but it is happening and it is happening in real time. And it's because there's a lot going on. People don't have the skills that they need to be able to move through this like they should. So, um, you know, I, I think by helping people build these human skills, these life skills, that we're going to help them be able to navigate this challenge of this crazy dynamic workplace that's changing every day and um, and give them the right mindset and tools that they need to do it. Well, it certainly seems like Learning Karma is doing those things. I mean, the, the idea around being vulnerable, uh, having that growth mindset, being curious, the future of L&D, old programming in a new world, which I thought was great. So we need to get beyond that that old programming and really show some resilience and some curiosity um, and agility and grit. I think you said earlier, too, are just fundamental to us um, us being successful and clearly how you're driving your um, your client base. Lee, thanks. I very much appreciate it. It's been just an awesome time with you, as it always is, every time well, we thank connect. thank you, Mike. But I very much appreciate it. Wish you loads of luck with your new business. And thank you for making the time for TGP. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.